Today's reading from the Word of God comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Please follow along in your own Bibles, on the screen behind me, or listen as I read the scriptures. Once again, that's the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And I invite you as you're able to stand for the reading. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology before we enter into our sermon. Hear the word of the Lord. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly, snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. My Thank you. My name is Ethan. I'm one of the pastors here at Anchor Bay Church, and I am so delighted to be worshiping with all of you tonight. And also, one more time, how awesome was our kids' choir? Great job, kids. Thank you for leading us in worship. Now, as we do every week, let's pause for a moment and quiet our hearts before the Lord. Just take a minute and set aside any of the distractions that we may have brought in here with us and ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. And after a moment, I'll pray. Oh, light of the world, thank you for the gift of Christmas and the gift of celebrating your birth, your advent to the world. Lord, I pray that you'll be in this space tonight, that we will encounter you in new and unique ways. 
We love you, Lord. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Well, everyone, we're almost there. Tomorrow is the big day. To quote my personal hero, Kermit the Frog, and his performance in A Muppet Christmas Carol, there's only one more sleep till Christmas. I had another Muppet Christmas Carol fan, yeah. One more sleep till Christmas. All the gifts have been acquired, hopefully. Most of our wrapping is done. Cookies and milk will be set out for Santa tonight, and visions of sugar plums, they are scheduled to dance in our heads tonight. I am excited, and I hope tomorrow's a really fun and special day for all of you. I have a lot of great memories of Christmas growing up. I am one of four kids, and I remember one year, uh, me and my three siblings, we all woke up at, I think it was like 5 in the morning, 4.45, 5 in the morning, and to wake our parents up on Christmas morning, we all burst into their room singing Joy to the World as loud as we could, which I'm sure is the best way to be woken at uh, 5 in the morning. Or another year, possibly in reaction to the Joy to the World year, we were told we couldn't come downstairs until 6.30 a.m. So my older brother and I, we shared a room. We opened our bedroom door, and we got down like we were sprinters at their starting blocks, and we watched the clock as it ticked to 6.30, and then we just ran out the door, tumbled down the stairs, which is another fun way to start Christmas morning. Or one more year, I remember I was very young. Um, one of my older cousins had told me that he had actually been to Santa's workshop in the North Pole that year. He had seen what Santa was bringing me for Christmas, but he wouldn't tell me. And I believed him hook, line, and sinker. I trusted him when he said that. I begged him to tell me, and he refused. And it wasn't really until like I don't know, I was like 15 or 16, that memory came to my head for the first time in like 12 years. And I thought, you know, I bet he was lying to me. I don't think he actually went to the North Pole, you know? But I trusted him when he said that. I believed him because sometimes when we're kids, we have this almost supernatural ability just to trust, right? Trust in the most fantastic things, whether it's holiday magic or a promise your parents made or something silly that your older cousin said. For kids, sometimes it's easy to trust in those things, to trust what those people said. But when we get older, sometimes it gets harder to trust like that. Maybe we experience our trust being broken or things that we had put our trust in fell through. Or we realize that maybe our cousin wasn't being totally honest about going to the North Pole. We stop trusting so wholeheartedly as we get older. Author Brene Brown describes trust as a marble jar, right? So picture it like this. Every relationship has a jar that is filled with marbles. And the marbles that are in that jar are acts of trust that are done that help build up trust in our relationships. So whenever, do, whenever someone does something that shows that you can trust them, like they support you or they go out of their way to help you, they're kind to you, they stick up for you, or you know, they, they honor what you said to them in private, you add marbles to the jar. It gets fuller. But then when people do things that hurt your ability to trust them, when they are disrespectful or mean or they take advantage of you or they lie to you, you take marbles out of the jar. Marbles are added and marbles are lost. And it's not a punishment, it's just the reality of trust in relationships. So when we experience trust being broken and marbles are coming out of the jar, the jar can start to feel pretty empty. And it can be hard for us to trust when that jar is empty. 
There's a finite amount of times that my cousin can lie to me about going to the North Pole before I start to doubt what he says. All of a sudden, I can't trust what he says. When he says he did something or will do something, it's hard for me to trust those words because the jar is empty. And when we're younger, all of those marble jars are pretty full, but as we get older, sometimes those marble jars fill up and sometimes they empty. And it's so much easier for us to trust when these jars are full. That's true of our relationships with our family and our friends, and it's certainly true of our relationship with God. Because we're called to trust God, to put our trust in who God is and what God says. So what does God's marble jar look like? Can we trust God to do what God says? And tonight we are going to continue our Advent sermon series called The Gift of Wonder, Childlike Practices That Connect Us with Christ by talking about trust. See, during the Advent season, we've been taking a look at practices or postures that we tend to associate with kids, but that grown-ups are invited to learn as well. We've talked about play and curiosity and honesty, and tonight we're talking about trust, something that seems to come so naturally to most of us when we're kids, but it seems to get a little harder as we grow up. And I truly think that one of the best stories that we can use to talk about trust, one of the best stories in the Bible, is the story of Jesus' birth, which works out so good because it's Christmas. So we're about to chat a little bit about trust, but before we jump into our passage, there is one thing that we need to remember. There's one piece of backstory that is really important to our story. A Savior had been promised. A Savior had been promised. Centuries before our passage today, when God's people had been lost or wandering from God or afraid or oppressed, God had promised that a Savior would come. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God making this promise over and over. When the world seemed at its darkest, when everything seemed lost, God promised a Savior. Someday, a virgin would give birth to a son, and he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This had been promised to the Israelites, and they've been waiting for it for centuries. God had promised a Savior. And that brings us to the passage that we had read today. Brings us to a moment, I'll say roughly nine months before Jesus is born, when a girl named Mary found out that she was going to have a baby. And the scene opens up on a girl named Mary. She was a young, unmarried virgin in a small town in Galilee. She was engaged to a man named Joseph. Mary was just a regular girl living a pretty regular life. And in this scene, I imagine she was probably doing pretty regular things, minding her own business, when all of a sudden there arose such a clatter and she sprang from her bed. No, that's the wrong. Hold on. (laughs) When all of a sudden an angel appeared out of nowhere and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And I just love Mary's response. She's basically like, okay, what is happening? And I don't blame her, right? If I saw an angel suddenly appear before me and yell, greetings, I would probably jump out of my skin. Because sometimes when angels are described in the Bible, they look a little different than the angels we put on top of our Christmas trees. Sometimes they're described as having four heads and lots of wings and eyes all over their bodies. Angels 
whatever they look like, however they're described, angels pull back the curtain on the realm of the divine. And when people encounter angels in the Bible, their lives are changed forever. And almost always, the angel will start the conversation with the same phrase, don't be afraid. Because almost 100% of the interactions that people have with Bibles, that people have with angels in the Bible, start with them just totally freaking out, right? And as Mary stood before the angel, she was greatly troubled. I super believe that. And if we were to stop the story right there, this would be a pretty incredible story already, right? An angel of the Lord appearing to a girl and saying, you have found favor with God, the Lord is with you. But the incredible story doesn't actually stop there. The angel tells the Mary, don't be afraid, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. The angel tells Mary that she's about to have a baby, but here's the thing, it's not just going to be a regular old baby. The angel starts to describe the most incredible things about this baby. The baby will be great. The baby will be called Son of the Most High, a.k.a. the Son of God. The Lord will give him, the baby, the throne of David. And that's part of the promise that, of a Savior that God had been giving for centuries. Someday the Savior would come and inherit the throne of David. And this baby will reign over Jacob's descendants, a.k.a. the people of Israel, God's people. And not just for a few years, but forever. This baby's kingdom will never end. This is the baby that has been talked about for centuries. This is the Savior of the world, the one that was promised, the one that Israel had been waiting for for thousands of years. And Mary, faced with so many incredible things, asked the question that seems most pressing to her. How? How? I'm a virgin. And I'll be honest, that's a pretty reasonable question. How am I going to have this child? How is this even possible? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And the angel finishes with one of the most beautiful truths in all of Scripture. For no word from God will fail. God has said it, so God will do it. And Mary, blessed Mary, trusts him. I am the Lord's servant, she says. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left. Mary heard the most incredible, earth-shattering news, the most fantastic news, and she trusted that it was real right away. She trusted that it was going to happen. She believed that no word from God will ever fail. She put all of her trust in the angel because she trusts that God will do what God says. And that kind of begs the question, why? Like, why did Mary believe so easily? Why did she trust what the angel was saying? And it's kind of hard for us to put ourselves in Mary's shoes because we probably, I mean, probably haven't stood before an angel of the Lord someday, you know, one day. But do you think that you would have trusted the angel as quickly as Mary did? Why do we think Mary trusted so quickly? You know, I think that the reason that Mary was so ready to trust what God was saying through this angel was because she knew who God was and she knew what God had done. She knew what a promise from God looked like and what it meant. And we see this knowledge of hers in a really cool way in the passage. See, in the Bible, oftentimes, when God would appear to people or speak to people, 
it would rarely start with just a, hey, I'm God, and move on. Instead, God would often attach a few distinctives or reminders to God's name. Like when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Or God would say something like, I am the Lord your God, the one who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Or God would say, I I led you into the land that I promised you, and I will never break my covenant with you. God would often start out with a reminder of who he is, not just in name, but in action. Sometimes just by referring to a name or event that had happened already, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the one who called them and guided them and protected them and provided for them. I'm the God who led Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. I'm the one who rescued you. I'm the God who made a covenant with you, promised to be your God, to love you and redeem you, and I'm not going to break that covenant. When God does this, it's almost like God is saying all of these things like, hey, I'm God, the one who's done all of this. Remember I did all those things? I said I would, and then I did it. You can trust me. I've proven myself trustworthy. I have filled that jar with marbles. And as the angel appears to Mary and promises her all of these incredible things, we actually see glimpses of this same kind of reminder in everything that the angel is saying. There are so many callbacks to God's previous faithfulness in this promise to Mary. Whether it's the you have found favor language, which is the same language God used with Noah in the midst of a sinful fallen world. Or there's a callback to Jacob, who Israel was named after and through whom God created the nation of Israel. There's a callback to King David, who God remained faithful to despite all of David's failings and fumblings, and through whom God promised a Savior. As Mary stands before the angel of the Lord and hears the most incredible things, she is also hearing reminders of all that God has already done. She is reminded that God has done the impossible before and will do the impossible again. She is being reminded that a Savior was promised. And right here, God is saying, that Savior's coming. But it's more than that. God, in his infinite kindness, doesn't stop there with these reminders. The angel says, and and listen, if that's not enough, if everything God has done before isn't enough to prove that he is trustworthy, or, or honestly, if that still just seems too impossible, let me show you that God will do it because God is already doing it. And the angel points to her relative, Elizabeth, and says, look, even Elizabeth, the one who has never been able to have a baby, who is too old to have a baby now, she's pregnant. And that baby will be born and will become a prophet who will baptize the Son of God. God is already doing the impossible, and he'll do it with you. For no word from God will ever fail. I think the reason that Mary could so quickly trust this fantastic news that the angel is bringing is because she remembered all the ways that God had been faithful for thousands of years, remembered who God had proven himself to be, saw what God was doing right then through her cousin Elizabeth. She saw all the marbles that God had put in that jar for her and for her people for thousands of years, and the marbles that God was putting in that jar right then. And we see that this is true a few verses later when Mary starts to sing a song about God's faithfulness. She sings about how God has been faithful from generation to generation. She sings about how God has always kept his covenant just like he promised. She sings about how God's mercy has never stopped, not once. 
And it won't stop now. So when God spoke through this angel and told her that she was going to give birth to a baby that would become Savior of the world, she knew that she could trust God. She knew that no word from God will ever fail. She knew that God always does what He says, that His speaking is His doing. And then nine months later, on a clear night with stars shining above, Mary gave one final push and held in her arms the Savior of the world. As impossible as it may have sounded, the Savior had come, just like God had promised. And what's incredible for us, some 2,000 years later, is that we can also trust God in that same way. We can also see the marbles that God has put in the jar. Because God didn't stop putting marbles in the jar when Jesus was born. The promise of a Savior didn't end with Jesus lying in a manger. That promise continued all throughout Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and forevermore. Because Jesus promised that if anyone comes to him, he will welcome us with love and joy and open arms. That has happened, it is happening, and it will continue to happen forever. Jesus proved it in his life when he welcomed sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors and he ate with them and he laughed with them and he loved them. He proved it when he told his disciples to let the children come to him because to, the, to them belonged the kingdom. He proved it when he embraced lepers and told them that he loved them. He proved it when he welcomed the marginalized and the oppressed and the outcasts. And he proved it some 30 years after this miraculous birth when he sat with all of his disciples one final time and ate one last meal together and told them that each of them would abandon and betray him and that he was still going to the cross for them. Because Jesus, that little baby, would one day grow up and go to the cross to defeat sin and death and shame forever, inviting all of us into new life with a faithful God. Jesus, our God, did this because he, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who led Israel out of Egypt, the God who promised a Savior, the God who appeared to Mary, will stop at nothing to show us his incredible, earth-shattering love for us. And even now, when the world can seem so dark, when we look around us and we see the pain and the suffering and in our world and maybe in our own lives, we can still remember that a Savior was promised and a Savior came. Into the darkness, a light was born. A light that promised to one day make all things new. Well, there will be no more darkness and no more tears, no more death or mourning or crying or pain, and that this has been promised to us by someone who is trustworthy and someone who is true. We can trust in that because God has proven it through the birth of that baby, Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And in those times when it may seem hard for us to trust in that incredible promise that a light has come and will come again, we can see God's light and new life at work around us, just like how Mary saw it at work in her cousin Elizabeth's life. We can see that through this church family and community as well. Because in this church, we have seen babies born and grow up in this church. We've seen deep friendships form and friend, friends that have become almost like family. We've seen healing from past scars and hurts. We've seen people come together to love and support one another through loss and heartbreak and layoffs and illnesses and infertility and loneliness. 
We've seen people come together in this church to celebrate joys and gifts and relationships and births and longed-for jobs and admissions to schools. We've walked with our siblings in Christ as we've seen God's love and mercy overcome sin and addiction and shame. We have seen the light of the world changing our lives and our community here. We have seen the marbles getting added to the jar. And even as we wait for that day when there will be no more darkness, we can experience the light at work and moving in our lives. Because, friends, God promised a Savior, and a Savior has come. God has shown us that He has put marbles in the jar, and He intends to do that forever. God has shown us that we can trust Him. And He stepped into the world as a baby, the light of the world, to show us that. So, friends, as we leave here tonight, what does this look like for you in your life? Where have you seen God's faithfulness in the past, and how can that build trust in your present? What are the marbles that God has put in your jar? And what areas of your life do you have a hard time trusting God with? Areas where you can ask God to show you and remind you of all the marbles He's put in the jar, ways that you can rely on and trust in a faithful God. Or maybe you've never had a relationship with God before, and so you don't even know if there even is a marble jar for God in your life. Well, maybe the invitation for you tonight is to take another step toward getting to know a God who is trustworthy by asking a Christian or a follower of Jesus that you know to share about why they trust God. Just like Mary, why? Why do you trust in God? And if you don't know anyone like that, you can start with me, or you can start with Pastor Bryn. We would love to talk to you about that. Maybe this Christmas, God is inviting you to begin a journey of trust, just one marble at a time. Friends, let's pray. And this prayer I'm going to pray is actually a prayer my grandfather wrote for Christmas Eve service years ago. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, these divine titles only partially describe you, O baby of Bethlehem. They cause us to stop and to worship you in wonder and adoration. No typical baby, you are a matchless gift from the eternal kingdom. Wonderful counselor, we turn to you amidst the complexities of life, for your counsel is perfect. With you there is no darkness, no confusion, no contingencies. We commit our needs to you. Mighty God, we turn to you for nothing less than a mighty God could reach us, save us, keep us, provide for us, and raise us up in the last day where we will be with you forever. Everlasting Father, we turn to you whose care for your children will never be eclipsed. You alone can promise that when we cast all of our cares upon you, you care for us, not just a few cares, not just for today, but all of our cares forever. Prince of Peace, we turn to you as the only one who can bring peace to our hearts, our homes, our cities, our countries, our world. Someday, perhaps today, the Prince of Peace will come again. There will be no more hatred, no more fighting, no more spilling of blood. Prince of Peace, come. We have confidence of this coming day when we will see you again in glory because you have proven yourself trustworthy again and again. O light of the world, shine in our lives and in our world. Amen.